Good morning, brothers and sisters. What a pleasure it is to be here with you this morning. And it is a privilege opening the Word of God this morning. If we could uh, turn in our Bibles to the fourth gospel. This is the gospel, the account of John the Apostle. And this morning we have the tall task of covering verses 14 through 34, or verses 15 through 34, I should say. So uh, without hesitation, I'm going to commence reading the passage. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 15. And John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we all have received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, only the begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him, and this is the record that John, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? He said, I am not. Art thou a prophet? And he answered, No. Then said unto them, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they uh, which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou, not thou, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither a prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but bef- therefore... But there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloosen. These things were done in Bethraba beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water... The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he that baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and I bear record, that this is the Son of God. Let's look to the Lord for uh, guidance as we consider this passage. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom was with thee, in, in eternity past, the one who came manifest 
uh, that we considered last week, the, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and, and we beheld His glory. As John the Apostle would write that, that uh, we, we handled, our hands handled the Word of truth, the, the very eternal one, the one who would take on a veil of flesh, walked amongst creation, the one who at one point was set apart in, 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 in glory and, and would consume anything that would come in His presence, that very same one would take flesh and walk amongst His creation. Children would sit at His lap and we would behold His glory as He would give up His life on the cross for our sins to redeem humanity. We ask that His name would get all the glory this morning. Give us wisdom as we look into Thy Word. Teach us, Father. Give us lessons that we could take from it that will impact our lives this very day. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. No, I am reading from King James, and um, it's it's a language that's not very familiar to uh, the common English tongue. And there's a couple of phrases that it might, might not make sense. Maybe most of you uh, read off the King James, and this is pretty pretty much uh, common knowledge. But nonetheless, we'll point some of those things out. The key verse that we want to look at, the highlight or the climax of the passage, I want to point out, comes in verse 29. The, ver- the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What a beautiful verse. Perhaps a peculiar verse. If you're reading it for the first time, Behold. It's, uh, it's a word that's used in the English language today. We don't say it as often. It means to draw attention to, to look, look at this, draw your attention to this. He's in a setting where he's with, with his disciples, um, and he, he sees Jesus coming to him, and he wants to draw everybody's attention to this very person. Behold. And John, as our brother Malcolm mentioned this morning, his ministry is a very, very unique one. He's, he's uh, considered uh, by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ as the greatest of prophets. In Matthew chapter 11, you could read the account. He would go, there's none born out of woman that are greater than John. He's more than a prophet. He was the greatest prophet. And in my mind, hearing all the, the Bible stories as a child, my favorite prophet, by the way, was Elijah. Or Elijah and Elisha. Because they did... The miracles that they performed were just, you could illustrate them in your mind, and it was astounding the way that God worked, and it would be incredible, right? John never did a miracle. He prophesied, and he straightened the way of the Lord. We're going to look into see what that means. And he would he would prepare the people's heart to receive the Messiah, and he would uh, uh, witness of the very one that's coming, this this person that he refers to as the Lamb of God. Now, that is, it, it is a very interesting title that he gives to the Lord, right? Lord Jesus Christ has had many titles. He, he could have said, Behold, the Savior of the world is coming. Behold, the Anointed One. Behold, the Son of God. Revelations will say, Behold, he who is faithful and true. There's many titles. Behold the lion. Right? In my mind, wow, that's, that, that would seem like more grasping to us. 
But to the Jew, they knew exactly what he was referring to. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. So, so John, John's ministry was to draw people's hearts and their attention, to draw them to the Messiah. In verse 15, it says that you would witness of him. What a great ministry that is. To draw people, people's attention to Christ. And this is something that the believer should do. Our brother Brian stood up at the end of the Lord's Supper and, and, and expounded upon that verse that the Christian, right? We should, we should essentially imitate Christ. We should show people Christ in our lives, the way we live, in our testimony. And none was better than that than John the Baptist. And I would like to point out, just in case, it, it might seem very straightforward, but John the Baptist is different from the writer of John the Gospel. John the Baptist was a separate person. John the Apostle is the one that's taken these, this account. Um, and John the Baptist, actually, he's a martyr. and He dies in this book. And John the Apostle would, would uh, give that account. In verses 16 and 17, he, we speak, he speaks about Jesus Christ. When you think of Christ, you think of grace. Grace. If you do a simple uh, word search and those fancy little applications on your phone or your tablet, those Bible apps, it's a lot easier to search for a specific word. Sure, you could go more profoundly in, into the original doing a, a concordance um, search, but if you just search for the word grace, you're going to see that the word grace is completely lopsided in the sections of Scripture where the word grace appears. If you look at the Bible and you kind of just divvy it up from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the New Testament is approximately a quarter the size of the Old Testament. But yet, the word grace would appear in the New Testament, in the version that I searched, 123 times versus the Old Testament, which would just appear seven times. And there's variation depending on how you do that search on which version of the Bible. Some of them would say find favor. Some of them would say find grace in the Old Testament. But the reason is because grace and truth comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very difficult to explain grace to somebody without having the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the law, in verse 17 it says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. Now we don't have time to expound on what, what the covenant of the law was. The law that was given to Moses, how people would have to live. But all in a nutshell, what, what it's saying is that the law is, you, you associate it with Moses and the law. God gave the commandments, the Ten Commandments to Moses. He gave them to Israel. And God essentially would say, I will bless thee if you keep these commandments. Then the people would try it to their best ability, but they would always fall. And then there would have to be continual sacrifice. And it would become a burden, the law that cannot be kept. It was not kept. And the children of Israel failed many times. But grace and truth comes through Christ. Grace is associated with Christ and faith. The grace of Christ that comes to the believer, right? The kind, my, the, a note in my Bible says, grace is the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man. It's receiving what we don't deserve. It's receiving this gift 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation, the redemption, redemptive work that we have through Him. And here comes John bearing witness and drawing attention, drawing attention of, of the people to the Lamb of God. And how, how easy it is. We live in a world where there's a lot of distraction. It doesn't matter where you're at now. You're connected essentially to the network, connected to your friends, connected in one way or another through these little devices. My mom refers to this as the black hole. And there's some truth to it. Sometimes I'll open it up. I'll look at a quick article. Not necessarily anything wrong, right? Oh, wow, there's this good article on this. Oh, wow, this guy's doing soccer. And you should start scrolling. Before you know it, the time has gone by. You've been looking at your phone for an hour. And you realize, I just wasted an hour of time. There's constant distractions in this world drawing you away from Christ. And nowadays, it's even getting to the point where it's more blatant that they don't want anybody, they don't want the name of Christ to be mentioned. In the epistle of John, First John, it says, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. It's so easy to be drawn to the things that this world has to offer. Not all of them are good. Some of them are not bad, but they all draw our attention. And, and the ministry of John would, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, would be to draw people. Look, get your attention to the very one who could redeem you, the very one who could save you. And in this world, even when you get to an intellect level, people are still drawing their attention purposefully away from the things that matter. The, the, the simple questions that a child has that are important. Why are we here? Why were we created? What is the purpose of life? Those, those hard questions that are only found in the Bible. And science would, would, well, science of today would, would tell you, no, that we, we just exist. The, the atheist leaders of today would just say that we are just a bundle of DNA. We evolved through many years and DNA just, we just dance to DNA's music. We're not created. We were just here by chance, random chance. But that's not what the Bible tells us. And, and here John would, would, would look to draw people, draw people to the Lamb of God. Now, John was a man whose ministry was, was very powerful. The people would respond to him. Though the Sadducees and the Pharisees would, will look down upon the ministry of John, the people would respect and he would convict the very hearts of the people. When the Lord Jesus Christ would ask the disciples, whom do men say that I am? One of the answers was John the Baptist. Why? Because he would convict people of their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ would, would, when he would be speaking about John, who was it that you went out to see? And he would, he would speak about John the Baptizer. And I don't want to get, give John the Baptizer too much credit because he wants the exact opposite. He would say, I must decrease, he must increase. He wants to do the very exact opposite. And so the ones that were going to him, who are you? With what authority do you do this? Art thou the Christ? Art thou Elias? These are very great men in Scripture. And John the Baptist would do the opposite. He would, he would be pointing to the one that he was preparing the way for. Now, that's another peculiar term. What does that mean? Well, nowadays, when you're going to go visit somebody, you literally, if you're probably my age or older, you would pick up the phone and you would dial them up. 
and call them. And guess what? The phone would ring and they would answer. If you're younger than me, you probably would send a text. If you're even younger than that, you most likely would send them a message through Instagram or Facebook and let them know you're going to go visit. But either way, we have a means of communication. Now, if it was a royalty, if the President of the United States or the Queen of England was coming to the United States, I'm sure they would send their entourage, that they would prepare the, 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 the room where they're going to abide in, they would send messages to, to the President here that the Queen of England is going to visit. And just, just like with, with that mindset, the forerunner in the times of old, when a king was to travel, they would go before the king, and they would prepare the way for the king's arrival. They would announce his coming to whatever city or whatever place they were going. And they would prepare the way. If anything was wrong with the path, they would straighten it out. And so here was John the baptizer, straightening the path, preparing the people's hearts to receive the Savior. To receive the Savior. And he would do so by, by the ministry of baptizing them by water. By repentance, he would tell the people to repent. He would show them that they were a wicked people, how far they have strayed from God, that they have to do a completely 180 degree turn, and to repent and receive the Messiah. Um, and again, they would confuse them with great uh, personalities in Scripture. Um, I saw the video of a, a doppelganger or a lookalike, from a soccer player. There's a person that looked like exactly like Neymar, the Brazilian soccer player. And he did videos of himself walking around, pretending that he was Neymar. And people would flock to him, take pictures. Girls would hug him. And he'd be like, ah. I mean, how foolish would they feel when, when they got home and they realized, well, this is not Neymar. John the Baptist was the complete opposite. He didn't want to draw attention to himself. He didn't want to associate with Elias or the prophet that was prophesied by Moses. He would He would very meekly say, no, I am just one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And again, who was asking? In verse 24 we see it was the, they were sent of the Pharisees. For the Pharisees have strayed so far from the priesthood that was established in the Old Testament to the point where it just became religion, power, and riches to them, where they would enslave the people with their position, and they would feel threatened by this very one who was teaching redemption to the people, who was convicting the people's hearts. And nonetheless, John would stand and he would answer them boldly, saying, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elias, I am one the one, <clears throat> in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he would point them to the very passage where that was written in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, if you want to read that account. We will do so this morning in the sake of time. Now let us get to the portion of the main theme of the topic in verse 29, the Lamb of God. And this is the one who, who John would say that I am unworthy, right? And again, the, the language is a little uh, antiquated where he would, he would uh, refer to his shoelace. Imagine it's like your shoelace. I'm unworthy to loosen his shoelaces or to tie his shoes. That's how low John would consider himself to the Messiah that was coming. That was probably a task that was given to the servants or to the slaves back then. And John would say, I am even unworthy to touch the shoelace of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ, of the Lamb of God. And when John would behold him and he would see him, he would immediately proclaim the Lamb of God. Now this title again, 
It's a peculiar one. Why was the, didn't he refer to him as the lion, or as the savior, or as the anointed one? Uh, the lamb has a very significant, a large significance in the, the Israel's history. And we don't have time to go back in details. Uh, to go look in, in specific scriptures, but I do want to draw your attention to where does the lamb become significant in scripture? There was a time where the Lord would work through many nations, not through just Israel, and He would work through through uh, uh, through. Uh, there's an account in in, uh, in Hebrews 11 where it mentioned a man named Enoch, and it says that by faith Enoch would, did not see death, but he was translated for he pleased God. What a what a Testimony Enoch had. And then uh, it would speak that the world would go corrupt and everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes and everything was evil. And, and then the Lord would have to, God would have to work again through another person named Noah. Then judgment came upon the world and eight souls were saved through that ministry. After that comes, uh, the world starts gathering again. It starts becoming evil again. They start erecting the tower to the glory of themselves. And Jehovah would say, my glory I will not share with another. And he would confuse them, give them different tongues, and split them up. Essentially, the Lord would get to a man named Abraham. And from Abraham, it would go to Isaac. And from Isaac to Jacob. And Jacob would have 12 sons. Out of that 12 sons, it would become the nation of Israel. And God would give his promise to Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation. And they were to be the light, a testimony to the whole world. And lo and behold, there was famine and they traveled to Egypt and the Lord saved them through a great, great story. You can read about it in the book of Genesis through through Jacob and Joseph. And and then they were abiding in Egypt and they were friendly with the Egyptians. But the Lord starts blessing them. They start multiplying rapidly. And the Egyptians, after many years, saw them as a threat and they enslaved them and they were in bondage. And then the Lord would send His servant Moses to liberate his people. And Pharaoh would harden his heart. And then so the Lord, in his grace, would pronounce these judgments called plagues on the people of, of, of Egypt. And each judgment, the Lord could have just snapped his fingers, it would have slaughtered uh, Pharaoh, and the people would have left. But God is gracious. Not only does he care about the Israelites, but he cares about the Egyptians. He, he, this man Pharaoh that's shaking his fist, who, who is the, who is God that I should let his people go? God was willing to demonstrate himself to this very man who is in rebellion to him. And in these plagues, each plague has a direct judgment on the Egyptians' gods, their idolatry. You like? They, 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 there's a mummified uh, there's a bunch of things that the Egyptians mummified that they saw as, as deities from frogs to insects. The Lord would say, you like frogs? Here, I'll give you frogs. And they had frogs coming out of their ears. There were so many frogs. You like insects? The Lord would send locusts, would send lice. You worship the Nile River? I will turn it into blood. It will bring forth dead. You worship the sun? Your sun god named Ra? He would shut the sun off. Ultimately, you worship Pharaoh. Pharaoh. You think he's the sustainer of life? Well, he would bring an angel of death to slay every firstborn in Egypt. And the wrath of God, the judgment, the righteous wrath of God was upon the people. And he would provide a means for the Israelites to not suffer this judgment. He would tell them to take a lamb. 
a spotless lamb, to slay it, to take its blood and put it on the post of the door. And it says that when the Lord would be passing over, if He would see the blood, He would have the destroyer not go into the house, for there was a shedding of blood. Somebody suffered the death. And oh, the cries that were heard the next day. Of all the Egyptians, when the firstborns were dead, and the Israelites, the destroyer would pass. And the judgment would pass because another one suffered. And the Lord would say, this will be a feast to remember continually, forever, every year. That this is a Passover. Some of the Jews still keep this nowadays. And this lamb would take the punishment that was righteous, that, that was deserving for another. Another one uh, should have died. The lamb was shed and died. Now, in the Bible, it tells us, you can read it in Genesis chapter 5, it says that the life of the, blo- the, life of the flesh is in the blood, right? Uh, science thinks that they're catching up and that they're way beyond uh, the Bible, beyond God. But this was written over 3,500 years ago. Um, and science eventually gets to a point where they realize, wow, this is true. Without blood, there is no life. When you say, you have shed blood. If I shed, if I shed off pounds, that means what? I kind of slimmed up a little bit, right? But if you shed blood, it's not saying that you, you cut yourself and you... No, it's, it's saying that you killed somebody. You shed somebody's blood. The life is in the blood. And the life... And the blood of Jesus Christ is unique. Because all our blood has been tainted from the beginning of our ancestor Adam. Sin entered into the world. And our blood was tainted with sin. And our blood would not suffice to pay for sins. And from every every living being, from Adam until David Gill, we have that condition, that problem, except for, with the exception of the one perfect being, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And this sacrifice that the Jews would do every year, they would come to the Passover and they would sacrifice numerous amounts of, of lambs for the sins. But the, their conscience was never clean because they were sinners and they knew that this could not, this was just the cover. It was pointing for the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. The Lord Jesus Christ would come and be the Lamb. And imagine that during this very same feast, the very people, the Israelites, specifically the Jews and, and, and the, the Pharisees would get the Lamb of God and condemn Him. And He would hang on the cross while this very same feast was going on. While people were sacrificing the Lamb, the Lamb of God hung on the cross shed His blood, His precious blood. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Imagine that, that the very same feast that was established back in the time of Exodus, where the Lamb's blood was put on the post of the door. During that very same feast, they took the Messiah, the Savior, and hung Him on a cross. And He bled and died to take away the sins 
of the world. But he didn't stay there, my friends. He didn't stay in the grave. The Bible would say that three days later, that he would raise up from the dead. That he would raise up in triumph. That he would raise up to to confirm that his work was accepted by the Father. That that he uh, that he was who he claimed to be. In Romans chapter one verse four, it says that he declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of him uh, by the resurrection from the dead. Imagine that he was claiming to be the Son of God. Now, if 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 Jesus Christ was, as some people say, he was just a good teacher, a person in history that would taught good works, could he rise from the dead? No. Distinguishes him from any 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 good person that lived in history. It separates him from anybody. There's nobody like the Lord Jesus Christ. He rose again. To prove that He was the Son of God. That the sacrifice was accepted. That He redeemed us to God. That he, His blood was enough to pay for the sins of the world. And He doesn't stay there. He is sitting at the right hand of God in glory. Now I tell you, it's not enough to say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But you have to go one step further and say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away my sin. The one who redeemed me. The one who saved me. The one who has taken, uh, who has cleansed my conscience. The one who's making me a new creation. The one who's sanctified me. The one who justified me. The one that I could stand before a, a holy God. And if He were to ask, By what means? By what right? Shall I let you into the kingdom of God? By your justice, God. Because Christ's sacrifice was enough. It paid for my sin. And your justice will allow me to be redeemed. Now you no longer see me. But you would see the sacrifice of Christ for that price that was paid. And I tell you, it's not enough to acknowledge that Christ died. It's not enough to acknowledge that He rose again. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He has to be your Savior. If He's not so this morning, I urge you to make Him your Savior, to make Him your Lamb that pays for your sins. It's something personal. It's not something that's translated from father to son, from husband to wife, from friend to friend. It is something that you have to do personally. Come to the knowledge of the truth as Christ is truth. Let us close with just one passage in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. It's a very famous, familiar passage. And the scene is this. The very same John the Apostle is taken up into heaven and he's just given a vision of glory. And he sees that there's this book with seals on it. And, 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 and the books is to proclaim judgment of the world, to set everything that's wrong right, to pronounce this judgment. And the angel would ask, is there anyone worthy to open this book and take it? And none was found worthy. And John would become sad. Sad because the, the, the thought of the wrongs of this world, of the things that need to be judged, not being judged, would make him sad. And lo and behold, the, the angel would say, Weep not, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, and he is worthy. The lion, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture would go on to say that when John would look at this lion, the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, what he would see 
In verse 6 it says, And I beheld lo in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of elders stood a a lamb. Stood a lamb as it had been slain. Imagine that. Yes, Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, he has that power and he's going to come in his second coming as a lion. But he was a lamb and he was slain. And what happens? What, what gives him the right? Look in verse 9, it says, They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. Thou was slain. And has redeemed us to God by thy blood and that of every kindred and every tongue and every people. He has redeemed us. The, the work of the Lamb, not the lion, but this is the Lamb that redeemed humanity. That and it, it doesn't matter race, where you're at, gender. He redeems. His blood is enough to save you. To save those who think they can't be saved. If you're here this morning thinking that you've gone too far, that you can't be saved, that's not true. The blood of Christ is enough. The hymn writer would say, God is satisfied with Jesus, with His work, and we are satisfied as well. Verse 12, it will say, saying in a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. There was this hymn that I wanted to sing. <clears throat> we're kind of short on time, so we're not going to do it. But I want to read you the, a couple of verses from hymn number 115. And surely the hymn writer had the, the, this passage in mind. It says, On the Lamb our souls are resting. What His love no tongue can say. All our sins so great, so many, in His blood are washed away. Sweetest rest and peace have filled us. Sweeter praise than tongue can tell. God is satisfied with Jesus. We are satisfied as well. Conscience now no more condemns us. For His own most precious blood, once for all, has washed and cleansed us. Cleansed us in the eyes of God. And that's only true of the Lamb of God. For the conscience can never be cleansed with animal sacrifice. As it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, read it yourself. All the animal sacrifice could not cleanse the conscience. But lo and behold, the Lamb of God, He takes away the sin. He doesn't cover it. He takes away the sin of the world. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful that You're a good God. That you just didn't leave us cast out, lost in our helpless estate. But you intervened. You provided the Lamb of God. Oh, how you would say to your prophet of old, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as, as snow. Though they'll be red like crimson, they shall be made as white as wool. We thank you for, for the Lion of the tribe of Judah. For he had become a lamb first. And he was slain on our behalf. Father, we pray for each and every one here, Father. If there's anybody here who's considering your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't know Him as their personal Savior, that today would be the day, Father. Part us now with your blessing, Lord. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.